evening, everyone. Can you hear me okay? Can you hear me okay? That's good. So today, we are moving into a new section in the book of Romans. We're leaving section 9, 10, and 11 behind. They've been three very complicated chapters, have they not? All about God's sovereignty, God's freedom to do whatever He wishes, and about the relationship between Jews and Gentiles. So today's section deals with how we can know and experience God's will. But before we get into chapter 12, the passage I've been given to preach begins with verse 33 of chapter 11. So this is Paul just ending that section, chapter 9, 10, and 11, and he ends it with, with worship. He says, oh, the depth of the riches of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable his judgments and his paths beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has ever been his counselor? Who's ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. Amen. And that's where all good theology should lead us, to worship. Understanding the deeper things of God, like what Paul's been explaining in chapters 9, 10, and 11, that should lead us to, to want to worship God. It is good theology, not good feelings, that is the basis of true worship. I'm reminded of Jesus' conversation with the Samaritan woman, and we're digressing a little bit, but I think it's helpful to illustrate this point. He has this chat with the Samaritan woman, and at some point they get to talk about worship. How should we worship God? Our ancestors said it should be on this mountain, but you're saying it should be in Jerusalem. How should we worship God? And Jesus says to the woman, he says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. Because the Samaritans only accepted the first five books of the Bible. And so they didn't accept any of the prophets of the Old Testament, any of the other writings. So they had a very deficient view of God. So Jesus says to this woman, your worship is deficient because your knowledge of God is, is lacking. We i.e. the Jewish people, with all of the revelations. We worship what we do know. And then Jesus goes on to talk about how true worship must be in spirit and in truth. And the context here is Jesus is referencing the Samaritan's woman deficient knowledge of God. And I believe that Good theology and a, a, a deep knowledge of God is what leads to, to worship that is in truth, to worship that is, that is deep, the kind of worship that God is, is seeking. So don't ever fear going deep with God. I can honestly share that as I've grown as a Christian, my, my appreciation for who God is, my fear of God has grown as my knowledge of God has grown over the years. So it's interesting to me that in one of the deepest and most complex sections of the book of Romans, Paul breaks into worship. He just, he's just overcome and must, 
say glory be to God forever. It's because he's just been thinking about what he's been writing. So now we come to chapter 12. It also speaks a little bit about worship, but it's mainly about how we can know and experience God's will in our lives. And I'm sure all of us here tonight do want to experience God's will. So let's read the first three verses of Romans 12. Therefore, and because of what's been said, I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. You all know that when the Bible was written, there were no chapter divisions. Paul didn't sort of say, okay, chapter 12. It was just from beginning to end. It was some monk on a horse that um, put the chapter divisions. And the horse sort of jolted. But so at the beginning of Romans 12 here, when you see in verse 1, when he says, therefore, you know the old preacher's joke. Whenever you see a therefore in the Bible, you need to ask what it's there for. Okay. So why does Paul say therefore? He's, he's referencing about the, the, the justice, the mercy of God, the, the sovereignty of God, how, how God is at work. And he's, he's just done his bit of worship. And then he says, therefore, in view of God's mercy, I urge you to offer your bodies as living sacrifices. True worship is not singing songs, raising hands, reading poetry, meditating. These things can all be, can all help our worship. True worship is what, how we live our lives 24 hours a day, seven days a week, 360 a year. That's our spiritual act of worship. It's, it's the giving of ourselves to God. That's what worship is. I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, living holy lives. This is what worship really is. True worship is a life surrendered to God. Monday to Saturday, it's, it's not... It's not just what we do here, although that's part of our worship. So how can we know and experience God's will? In verse 3, we read these verses. We've looked at the therefore. Now there's a then at the beginning of of verse 3, as it were. I don't see a 3, but I'm presuming it's verse 3. Don't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. 
The word then is important. There are some preconditions to us being able to discern what God's will is for our lives. I want to share with you what some of these preconditions are. They're they're found in these verses. There's the first one. If we want to know what God's will is for our lives, we have to offer ourselves to God as living sacrifices first, to be true worshipers. You see that there. This is one of the things that we must do, and if we do it, then we will be able to discern God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. Here's the second precondition. We mustn't be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world. Then we will be able to discern God's good, pleasing, and perfect will. And here's the first one, the third one. And we must be transformed by the renewing of our minds. Then we will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. So my first point tonight is that God reveals His will to us as we worship Him. God doesn't, knowing God's will is not meant to be a theoretical exercise. It's like, well, God, I'd like to know what your will is for my life, but I have no intention of actually doing it. I mean, there's some people that think like that, and they would seriously like to know, gee, God, what would you like? Okay, cool, I reject that option. I mean, you laugh, but people do that all the time, because there are some things we know very clearly are God's will or aren't God's will, and we go ahead and do them from time to time. But God's will for our lives is something that He reveals to us as we surrender to Him. I think of poor old Abraham, although he was super blessed, I shouldn't feel too sorry for him. The Lord just plucked him out of the crowd for no reason and said, leave your country and your people, your father's household, and go to the land that I will show you. If Abraham had said to God, look, God, I'm not moving until you explain to me exactly where we're going. That's not how God operates. It's like, Let's go, Abram, and while we're on the way, I'll show you where we're going to go. There is a deep desire in the human heart for supernatural guidance. Who here, I mean, I hardly ever do the put up your hand thing, and we don't have to start tonight. But, But I guarantee all of you at some point in your life have deeply desired for God to guide you and to show you what to do. And, and the world desperately seeks for supernatural guidance. Down in Lakeside, you can go for tea and tarot. In Kendall Road, you can connect with dead people, if the spiritless church is still there. Every newspaper you read, you can click on your horoscope. I always read other people's. No, I never want to know what, what the Capricorn, what the Capricorners are up to. Most people do feel a measure of trepidation about the future. We all wrestle with tough decisions, and we want to know what what is God's will for me in this situation. What's the the best, sweetest solution right here? 
And here in Romans 12, we're told part of the solution. It's if we're given ourselves to God. If, if we're not being conformed to what the world wants us to be. If our minds are being renewed, then we will be able to discern the good, pleasing, and perfect will of God. Another thing I want to say is that it's not always easy to know God's will. I bet many of you here could also put up your hand. You've experienced how hard it is to know God's will in a situation. I've personally struggled with this over the years. What is God saying to me or about this situation? And as I've spoken to people in our church, many of them have also shared about how they've really struggled to to understand what it is that God wants them to be doing. As I was uh, studying this passage, I noticed there is this tension between chapter 11 and, and chapter 12. Chapter 11, Paul says, how unsearchable are his judgments. God's paths are beyond tracing out. Who has known the mind of the Lord? It's like God is so great and so different to us. Who are we to think we can figure out what God's actually doing? So, so that's the one part of it. Who can say? Who, who has known the mind of the Lord? God does his own thing, in case you haven't noticed that. That's what chapters 9, 10, and 11 is all about. And he's every right to do what he wants to do. And I think sometimes this quote from Mark Twain has had relevance, that sometimes we can be so sure about what God's will is in a given situation. And then when things don't work out that way, there's a big crisis of faith. But back to the tension. So that's Romans 11. Who has known the mind of the Lord? But then Romans says, 12 says, but, but if we're worshiping and being renewed in our mind and not conformed to the world, then we can know the will of the Lord. But if you've ever struggled to know God's will, you're not alone. When it comes to morality, it's clear. Stealing is wrong. Lying is wrong. Loving is right. When it comes to morality, there are clear biblical guidelines. But when it comes to where should I live, what should I study, who shall I marry, these are questions that the Bible doesn't give specifics on. Unless your name's Joy. You know the joke about the guy who's praying about who to marry, and he read, you shall go out with joy. And, and, and he really felt that God had spoken to him. So, so knowing God's will is, is, is not always easy, friends. There, there's tremendous opposition to us knowing and, and doing God's will. The, the world wants to to squeeze us into its mold. The world wants us to think in a particular way about just about everything. We live in a fallen world. Satan is the prince of this world. There is so much worldliness, so much ungodliness. The whole spirit of the age kind of 
soaks into us. There's a huge amount of influence being brought to bear on all of our lives at a subconscious level to think and to act in a particular way. For teenagers, we call this peer pressure, although teenagers are by no means the only people that suffer from peer pressure. That's for sure. We see in Ephesians 2 that that there are spiritual forces at work shaping our thinking. In Romans 12, we're told we, we mustn't conform any longer to the ways of this world. The world wants to push us in a particular direction, wants us to behave in a particular way. I don't know how many of you have been following the Israel Falau story, but all hell broke loose when he posted that on Instagram. There's a constant pressure on people from the world, what you can say and what you can't say. And tolerance trumps it all, except, of course, tolerance for a Christian viewpoint. It's so much easier for us to just go with the flow. So part of experiencing and discerning the will of God is, is taking a stand. Our minds need to be renewed in order for us to experience God's will. In chapter 1 of the book of Romans, Paul describes fallen humanity. And he talks about their behavior. And I've noticed as I read this passage again, he talks a lot about non-Christians' thoughts and what they believe. In Romans 1, he says, The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against ungodliness and wickedness because people suppress the truth. There is a suppression of truth. Verse 21 talks about, Though it is obvious that God exists, people choose to suppress that truth. And in their thinking, they become their thinking becomes futile. It's all about thinking, what's going on in our minds. They claim to be wise, but they're exchanging the truth of God for a lie, for, for falsehood. How are we transformed? Well, we're transformed through, through the Scriptures. All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training. That's why we should be reading and studying the Bible every day, so that it will shape our, our thinking. Our minds need to be renewed through, through the reading of the Word. I, I also thought of Psalm 1, where the book of Psalms, all 150 of them begins with the psalm. Blessed is the person who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked. Who are you hanging around with? Who's got your ear? Who's speaking into your mind? Blessed is the person who does not hang around with ungodly people. Bad company corrupts good character. Blessed is the person. His delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. The purpose of having a quiet time is not so you can tick off your read five verses in the Bible. 
It's, it's to meditate so that those thoughts, those values, those, those principles of God's kingdom get, get deeply embedded in our hearts and our minds. Fifth point about knowing God's will. God's will is good and, and pleasing and perfect. Let me talk to you a little bit about the nature of God's will. And those of you that have done my deeper course will know that, not deeper, rooted, will know that we go into this quite, quite in depth. But is God's will for my life? What is, what is meant by God's will when we talk about discerning his good, pleasing, and, and perfect will? Is God's will general or specific? These, these are the, one of the questions we have to wrestle with. I.e., if we say God's will is general, that means that God doesn't really mind how I live my life. They're these very broad parameters. And as long as I stay within this broad parameter, God is quite happy the things I do and what I decide to do. Who I marry, whether I marry. Is God's will for my life general or specific? Is there the one person, for example, that God has planned that I must marry? Do we see God's will as like a blueprint? It's, it's this exact thing that we have to build with our individual lives in order to experience God's will. Is God's will like, like, a, like a road map? When I'm six, I have to do that. When I turn nine, I must go and live in that place and go to that school and have those friends. How specific is, is God's will for, for my life? I feel, fall firmly in the camp that God's will for our lives is a very general thing. That God's given us a brain and free will and he expects us to use it. And that God is not going to be micromanaging our lives and telling us what shoes to put on in the morning and what to do each day. God's like a parent. You, you want your, your, your children to become independent and to, to do what they want to do, not to just follow after what you wanted to do or did or didn't do. Yes, there are times when God does give a blueprint. Moses, build the temple like this. David, carry the ark like that. Noah, the boat must float like this. But for the most part, God says, you're free to do what, whatever you want. Sure, we must obey the, the commandments of God, but there's this broad parameter of life in which we can live. Another question when it comes to the will of God is, is God's will static or dynamic? It's just another way of asking the first question. In other words, is God's will fixed or does God's will for our lives change constantly? I do this thing and then God reacts, okay, now my will is like that for you. And I, again, I would lean towards God's will being dynamic, not static. I think anyone who opts for the idea that God's will is fixed runs into serious trouble. Because all you need is for one significant wrong decision to get made somewhere in your life is doomed. You can never experience God's will for your life. 
What if there is just one person out there for you to marry in the plan of God? And what happens if a drunk driver knocks that person over and they die? What then? Is God's plan in your life forever thwarted? What if you don't get into that course that, that God wanted you to study? firmly believe that God's will for our lives is not a detailed plan. It's a goal. It's a goal. I don't think the details matter too much in many instances. God's plan for you and I is that we become like Jesus Christ in our character, in our thinking, and in our behavior. That is God's will for our lives. And that can happen in a variety of different ways. Why do I have this view? Well, I've been guided by two verses. Romans 8, for example, says that the reason God has chosen people and called people and pulled people to himself, his predestination is about conforming us to, to the likeness of his Son. That's why God saves us. He wants other people like Jesus. Obviously, we're not God, but he wants us to, to reflect Jesus, to be like Jesus. Paul puts it like this in Galatians 4, My dear children, whom I am in pains of childbirth, until Christ is formed in you. In other words, until the character and nature of Jesus has taken root in your life. That's God's will for us. And all the time we're struggling with, well, what job should I do and where should I study and what church should I belong to? Yes, these are important things, but God's will has to do with the direction of our lives. And we're not stuck in a maze when it comes to God's will. And that if you've made one wrong turn, you can never get out. The beauty of this view of God's will is that no matter what's gone wrong in your life, and stuff goes wrong in all of our lives, it doesn't matter what's gone wrong and how much we have even messed up our own lives. We can all still experience God's perfect will for our lives, which is the quickest and most direct route towards each one of us becoming like Jesus Christ. Isn't that exciting? Perhaps that still needs to sink in a bit. Perhaps you don't agree with me, but I find it tremendously exciting. Because people say, well, I've, I've made mistakes. I'm, I'm in prison. What, what, what now? How can I experience God's will for my life? Well, well, in prison, you can experience God's perfect will for your life. There's an interesting verse here in 1 Corinthians 7, which I'll just reference. I, I won't go into it in the interest of time. But in 1 Corinthians 7, Paul, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, writes to a person who's contemplating getting married. And he says to the person, hey, if you want to marry that girl, that's really great. 
and if you don't want to marry her, well, well, that's also really great, even greater. That's what this passage says, which just goes to show that even when Paul is, is giving advice and counsel to people, he's, he, he's showing us that God's will is very general, that God leaves many decisions up to us. And finally, we discern God's will through a process of testing and approving. Testing and approving. That's what it says here. If we do all the things I've mentioned, the conditions, we're a true worshiper. We're not letting the world force us into its mold. Our, we're, our mind is being renewed. Then we will be able to, and these verbs are important, to test and to approve what God's will is. What does it mean to test? And I think this is where we get into the realm of the subjective, but we have to go there because it's for real. To, it's when you test something, you, you think of options and you hold the options up before the Lord in prayer and you say, is it this, Lord, or is it that? Is it this, Lord, or is it that? And the peace of God, which transcends understanding, well, God, you get a peace sometimes about what it is that God wants you to do in a situation, and that's a way of discerning His will. There's also the voice of the Spirit. In Romans 8, Paul talks about how the Holy Spirit converses with our spirit and tells us that we are children of God. There's a conversation, a dialogue that happens between the Holy Spirit and our spirit. And the spirit speaks to us and guides us. And I believe this is how we test things. We say, Lord, is this what you want me to do? And you hold that thing before the Lord and you interrogate it and you test it. Lord, is, is this it or not? And you get the peace of God or a check in your spirit. But it says that we must test and approve. I don't know if you've ever had the joy of applying for a passport online at Home Affairs. Or an American visa. Now that's fun. Must be about eight separate authentications you go through every time you add a word. Well, if you time out, that is. An OTP, a one-time pin, this is designed to kind of authenticate what, what's already happened. And when we're discerning God's will, we test God's will, and then we approve God's will. There's, there needs to be an additional authentication that comes through, as it were. And over the years, Christians have recognized there are at least seven ways that God reveals His will to us. Number one, through the Bible, which is the final authority for all matters of faith and practice. It doesn't matter what you sense in your spirit, what your intuition tells us, what people are saying, what prophetic words have come. If it's contrary to Scripture, it's not of God. Because God would never do or say something that is contrary to His Word. The Bible is how we discover God's will primarily. But there are many things the Bible doesn't speak to, and so we need to look to the Spirit's guidance. There's your intuition. What's your gut feeling if you're honest with yourself before God about what you should do? 
common sense. God's given you a brain. Please use it. Wise counsel. That's not when you talk to your friend who's equally confused about the issue you're facing. (laughs) And another thing we suffer from as Christians is no matter what people in the church decide to do, there's that tremendous pressure to like their post. Ever witnessed that? Okay, is it only me that's witnessed that? People saying, God told me, you know, I'm going to do X, Y, and Z. And now you think if you're a good friend, you've got to now give the thumbs up. No, not quite. Seeking wise counsel. There are prophetic words that that come our way. God speaks to others who at times will share those things with us. We need to take those things seriously. And then there are circumstances. Sometimes God directs our paths. He opens and closes doors. As we conclude, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who's ever given to God that God should repay for? For him and through him and to him are all things To him be the glory forever and ever. Maybe close your eyes and let these words sink sink into you. Brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. Do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good, pleasing, and perfect will. Lord, we thank you that in this confusing, this world that is confusing at times, we thank you that you are our heavenly Father our shepherd, our, our counselor, as Isaiah wrote of, of Jesus. Thank you that we can come to you at any time for wisdom. Thank you, Lord, that as a, like, like any parent, you want to, to take us on your knee, as it were, and, and speak softly into our ears. Help us, Lord, to be receptive to your voice. And thank you, Lord, for the gift of free will, for the gift of intelligence, the ability to to have aspirations, creativity, desires that you place in our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you care about us. And thank you, Lord, that you have a plan for each one of us to become like Jesus Christ, for Christ to be formed in us, for us to be conformed to the likeness of Christ. Lord, we invite you to do this wonderful work in our hearts. Help us to live our lives with confidence, Lord, knowing that you're with us, that you've empowered us to 
to get out there and to live life. Lord, we pray that you would keep us from being conformed to the pattern of this world. Help us to discern what thoughts and ideas are not from you, are contrary to your kingdom. Help us, Lord, to offer ourselves to you in true worship. And we pray, Lord, for the renewing of our minds, for the washing of the word. And our prayer is, Lord, that we would all experience your good, pleasing, and perfect will. And thank you too, Lord, that no matter what may have gone wrong in our lives, whatever horrendous mistakes we may have made, or whatever horrendous things other people have done to us, we thank you that none of those things can stop us from plugging into your good, pleasing, and perfect will. And so, Lord, it is with enthusiasm and excitement that we give ourselves afresh to you. Lead us, Lord. Direct us and guide us. For we ask it all in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, Nicole. Let's worship in song before we worship the rest of the week with our lives.